Hi, my name is Karen, and the Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 27, 4 through 5. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is James, and the New Testament reading is found in 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, my name is David. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. The gospel of the Lord. Please stay standing as we pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are here with us today. And we ask that in, in our faith in you and your presence here, that we would be affected by that. That your holiness would affect us. That your nearness would affect us. That your forgiveness, that your grace, that your empowering that your encouragement, all of these things, as we are your body knit together into Christ as the head, that you would fill us and have your way today. We give you this to your glory, our lives even, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Take a seat. Well, welcome to 2016. How's it going so far? I trust nothing too bad. Um, my name is Evan Riedel. I am one of the associate pastors here, and I get to bring what will end up being about a 10-minute-ish devotional sort of thought on prayer, and then we get to spend the next, well, the rest of service praying and worshiping and engaging in the Lord on a corporate level to start out this year right. Um, what I want to talk about is, as, as we approach the idea of prayer, is the notion of prayer and the questions that might arise in it. What to pray and what does it do? What is, what is its cause and effect? And first, what to pray. I, I grew up around New Life. Anybody who grew up around New Life here, especially like college group, youth group, I see some of those hands. I like those hands. 
And we grew up around a culture that was very prayerful. I mean, it was just the norm that services would kind of break out into prayer meetings. We'd go to the prayer center at 10 o'clock at night in high school because that was just what we did. It was just the cool thing to do. But we were around these prayer meetings so often that the language of prayer started kind of getting into us because it's, it's really not maybe a natural language for us to learn. We learn English because we're around our parents and they keep on telling us this is kind of how you pray. Say mama, mama, dada, dada, okay? And then we grow and we learn what prepositions are and then we hate them and so on from there. And we, get, we learn a language because of exposure and repetition. And it was the same thing for us growing up in high school and in our teenage and college years, being around these prayer meetings, because not only would we learn how to pray in a certain maybe zealous or overly zealous fashion, not only did we learn how to do the, the I think it's, his name is Fred Marker, the kind of rock the Holy Spirit come today and move this place. Like, does the rocking actually help? I don't know. Maybe the, the, the ADD person it keeps their attention locked on. But... We learned to do that because that's what we did in the prayer meetings. And we also learned how to, sadly enough, uh, the question would come up like, when you pray, I I can't figure out, are you Australian or not? Because we would start elongating letters and stuff and say, Lord Jesus, like, why is it Lord when he's Lord? I, I I don't understand. But it's because we were surrounded by it and that's just kind of the language that we learned when we came to pray. And I, I even see Sarah up here at the corner of my eye. The first couple of years that we knew each other, she'd be like, I love it when you pray because you sound British or something. And I don't know, but it's cool. It's like, I'm weaning off of it, okay? I'm, I'm learning to speak American again. But regardless, prayer, when we come to it, it is something that through exposure, through practice, that's where we learn the language. And I remember getting into college, going out of New Life where it was just the norm and getting into to school and, and prayer meetings and, and college groups and after that. And I would pray and people would just look at me and, and they would just go, how, how do you pray like that? And I literally had no idea what to do with that answer because it was just this like, I don't know, you just kind of do it. And what I realized now is I had no answer because I, I didn't sit in prayer class and this is how you should pray and this is what you should do. I, I sat in experiential learning class where it was, let's just do this and learn and we'll all learn together. And I did it for so long, for so many years that it just became natural to pray in corporate settings or to pray in my quiet time or whatever it was. But it's going to be church, our repeated practice of that place that teaches us and that, that we learn this language to pray. The good news is that there have been some very well-trodden paths of people who have gone before us. If you look, the Old Testament, uh, biggest book in there, right in the smack dab of it all, is a collection of 150 different prayers that have been prayed. If you look through it, Paul in his letters, he starts every single letter of his with a prayer over the church or over the individual that he's writing to. And I pray that you would, so on and so forth. And they've gone before us and they've taught this language even to the point where Jesus with his disciples, they come and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he goes, great, here you go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he starts teaching them whether you can be in one of two camps or since we're kind of postmodern, we can be in both camps at once, right? Either repeat after me and learn it this way or repeat after me and learn it this way so that you can then take it and understand kind of what I'm saying. Our Father, this is a very intimate connection that we have with God. Recognize intimacy within the place of prayer in our relationship with God. Who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. He is exalted, he is glorified. When you come before him, make sure that you recognize the exaltedness and the glory that is in the Father. 
And he goes through the rest of it and he talks about this is how you pray, whether directly and we can learn it through repetition. And then categorically we say, okay, Lord, I need to learn better the fatherhood. So I'm not just going to say father, but I want to engage in that more. What to pray. The second part of it, what does it do? I've had so many conversations with one beloved specific friend named Jason. And what we go around and around on is, when I get into the place of prayer, is it me who has changed and it expressly transforms and is different? Or does my prayer actually end up affecting God in some way? So maybe he moves in a certain way he wouldn't have otherwise if I didn't pray. And like I said, we go around and around. I won't tell you where both of us come from, but it's fun. At the same time, I think you you have to hold attention of both of those being true. When we pray, we are affected. We change. But when we also pray, God is somehow affected as well because he set himself up to be a relational God with whom we relate. So I want to suggest as, well, I want to suggest something that N.T. Wright has suggested of where are we and what happens when we pray. And it's a term that N.T. Wright refers to as we are in between the advents. In between advents. Advent very simply means a waiting for the arrival of usually royalty of some sort. You could use it if, if, you know, Queen Elizabeth was coming over to my house, which doesn't happen. But if she was, I could say I'm in an Advent season of waiting for Queen Elizabeth to arrive. I'm waiting for the royalty to arrive. And we call Advent before Christmas saying we're waiting for the Christ, the King, to arrive, this Messiah. And we set it apart to to engage in that waiting, to recognize what we're waiting for, and then we celebrate it in this Christmas season that is finally here. My Advent has found its fulfillment, and the royalty has arrived. Our faith is this unique and strange and beautiful tension of the fact that we are, in fact, celebrating the Christmas season, the arrival of Jesus, while being still in an advent of waiting for the return. And it's when we put ourselves in a context, and I just want to help us get into this and and think through, what does it mean that we're between two advents? What does the first advent mean to our lives? What does it mean that we're here today, 2,000 years after that, and yet we're still waiting for the advent to come, and we're living in the tension of two advents? N.T. Wright puts it this way. The apparent confusion, that overlap of the first and second advent, is actually what Christianity is all about. Celebrating the decisive victory of God in Jesus Christ over sin and death, and looking for, and working for, and loving for, and praying for, the full implementation of that decisive victory. And even the Eucharist catches exactly this tension from 1 Corinthians. As often as you break the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim, you announce the death of the Lord, that first advent, until he comes, that second advent. And we're in that moment of tension. And I want to suggest in this tension three things that happen when we recognize what the place of prayer is for. When we say we're in this tension and we're supposed to pray, what does that prayer do? Number one, we learn to realize the effects of the first advent on our lives and our church and our community. The thing is, that first advent, something that happened, our faith says that 2,000 years ago, a guy named Jesus born of the Virgin Mary, the life that he lived, the death that he died, the resurrection, the ascension, the glorification, somehow that is supposed to affect my life today. 
And I, I want to I suggest that it is when and only when we engage in things like prayer that the effect of that 2,000-year-old series of events starts to take place in our life. And I want to say prayer not as talking and just listening, but practicing prayer as presence. Thinking of prayer as practicing presence with God. Thinking of it in such a way as friends, if you, this is the context I'm going to give you. Married couples, think of spouses. Friends, think of best friends. Think of if you're really close with your parents, something like that. That close, close relationship. That relationship is not based on your ability to talk and to listen. Communication is paramount, but that's not what it's about. So often those relationships are, their presence in my life means this to me. It does this to me. And talking is part of it, but there's something that can say, we can go on a hike together and only talk for 10 minutes of it, but still the presence of that friend and that time spent together. We can be together, the, the, holding hands and going on a walk. It's just somehow the presence that I'm practicing, it affects me. And I think the same thing with prayer. Prayer is the practicing of the Lord's presence that helps us start to realize and wake up to and come alive to the effect of the first advent on us. If I was to say to you, your sins are forgiven, they're forgiven, straight up, happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus died on the cross. Believe in him, confess in his name, and you shall be saved. What does that mean to you? I can study all day, I can read it, I can, I can master it. But if we're not somehow experientially engaging with it, we're still lacking something. I can tell you all about how great being married is, but before I got married, I, I heard it was great, but I didn't know. I can tell you how much sleep I'm not getting now being a dad, but until that happened, every other parent in the room is going like, yeah, but you don't know, bro. <laughs> Just wait. My dad always used this reference. Hey, tell me what chocolate tastes like. Ugh, um, it's creamy and it's smooth. and We use all these words around it, but there's a uniqueness to it that you really don't know until you step into an experience of what it actually tastes like. There's something about God being personal and intimately relational and near, and he's come near in the advent of Jesus. There's something about that that says... Yes, come to church. Yes, learn it. Yes, understand it. Yes, go to school. Yes, attend classes and do Bible studies and watch whatever it is. Yes, study. Engage the mind and intellect and, and, and renew it. Yes, learn the truth. But at the end of the day, it should inform us on who God is so that when we come to actually experience a relationship with God, it better informs us of how to do that. So when we're saying, yes, God has forgiven me, I'm still recognizing that I need to somehow come into full understanding of that forgiveness in some experiential sort of way. And the Lord gives us prayer to say, come and be with me and talk with me and sit in my presence. Come seek me and find me while I may be found. Come experience the truth of this. For me, this, this whole thing came in the head I was about 16. I was in a prayer meeting. Didn't know what was going on. People were praying for each other, and somebody fell down, but thankfully somebody was there to catch them. And then, ah! And my dad knew it was all a bit much, so I was standing on the side of the room, and he goes, Evan, it's a lot. I want you just to stand and to watch. So I stood on the side of the room, and I was just watching. He goes, I want you to ask the Lord what he's doing. So I stood on the side of the room, I was watching, and I asked the Lord, Lord, what are you doing? And for whatever reason, 
I just start weeping. I start crying. I end up crying, just, just, just tears for 45 minutes or so. And afterwards, I mean, when I was going through this experience, I had no idea how to describe it. But afterwards, it was definitely this thing I can look back on and say, for the first time, I experienced the presence of God. The fact that we can say God is holy is good, and we know it, and we say and affirm that it's true, but when I encounter that holiness, it is radically different than just a word. The power and that idea becomes real in my life. If I say that I am forgiven and God has forgiven me, this is so good. But it's when we encounter the love of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's when we encounter the reality in an experiential way that the word then points to something greater and that is the reality of God. And so when we pray, number one, we learn to realize the effects of that first advent. If he's come and it's 2,000 years later and somehow what he did back then is supposed to affect me now, it's when I get into that presence relationship of prayer that I start holding on to that and saying, Lord, would you bring the effect of that? Can I hold it and pull it? And Would you bring it into my life now? That it doesn't just matter back then, but that it's matter, it, it, it matters now. That's one hand. On the other hand, we look towards the second advent to come. We say, Lord, let this affect me, but also what I know and what I hope for and what I've seen and the advent to come, could that affect me as well? That the way in which we live, the way in which we think and go about life, a hope in an eternal life and and a second life. Even Jesus, when he was doing his ministry, he would perform the miracles and more often than not, he referred to them as signs. Guess what? This is a sign of that which is to come. When the fullness of the kingdom breaks through, breaks in, on that, this second advent, when it finds the return of the Lord, these are signs of what that's going to be like. The healing and the miracle, there will be no more sickness. The pain and the sorrow, there will be no more of that because he has brought and behold made all things new and he's taken away that. And we remember not only, Lord, I want, I want what you have done to affect me, but I also want the hope and my expectation of where we're going, of what you've revealed, what is to come, the advent that we're waiting for still. I want that to affect me. We learn to remember the hope we have in the advent to come. And what happens when we get point A, advent one, looking at point B, advent two, what it does is it helps us to align our lives on the path that God would have us on. It gives us two points with which to say, when I am in between these two points, when I'm living in the tension of what he has done and what he has yet to do, when I am praying for and being informed of what to pray because I know that he's done this and it should affect me, so Lord, let it have effect on my life and we're going this way, let that also affect me with, even if it's just affect me with your hope. Lord, can I bring the reality of those two things closer and more real into my life and the way I'm living it today? And can those things help me align for the first time maybe or realign continually the way in which I'm living today? Church, when we come into prayer, this is the reality. 2 Corinthians one twenty-two. It was our, our New Testament reading. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us 
and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Yes, you have come, and I want that to be the reality in my life. And I'm waiting for the fullness, and until that day, you've given me your spirit as the foretaste of what is to come and the empowerment to live in between these two advents. And it also gives us a hope that the world in which we live, if it be broken and we say, Christ, I thought you did something 2,000 years ago. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it. It gives us the hope to say, yeah, but we're still in the tension. And when I pray, what I'm praying for is that those two things that have been united in Christ, that I become united with them, and that we, the church, unite with them as the body, with Christ as the head. N.T. Wright finishes out his section about these two advents in this way. This, then, is the pattern of Christian spirituality. The rhythm of standing in the presence of the pain of the world and kneeling in the presence of the creator of the world, of bringing those two things together in the name of Jesus and by the victory of the cross, of living in the tension of the double advent and of calling God Father. If what we pray can be a learned language, if it's, if it's, if it's something that we hear and we repeat, Glenn jokes that it can be boiled down to three simple words, help, thanks, wow. That our prayers could be summed up in those sorts of things. When we come and approach God, Lord, help. Help because I am here in the tension of these two advents and I need you to affect today with where the first advent led in the cross and where we're going in eternity. Let that influence today. Help. Lord, thanks. Thanks because you answer prayers. Thanks because I have breath. Thanks because the beauty of creation surrounds us all over the place in Colorado. Thanks for whatever it is, but Lord, there are things to which there, you are worthy to be thanked for and be given the praise for. And then sometimes the culmination of it is just, wow. Lord, I'm 16 years old and I'm crying for 45 minutes. Why? Because you're holy and I can't take it. Wow. And what we're asking when we ask in prayer is for our faith to maybe find its fullness in the real, the tangible, the experiential presence of God affecting us through the tension of the first advent and calling that into reality today. And the hope of the second advent and calling that to come quickly. That, Lord, you would affect what's going on around me. So we live in this tension, church, and we're going to start 2016 praying through this tension. We're going to use the Lord's Prayer. So I don't know what time it is right now, but we're going until the end of service, so 45 minutes or so. This might be new for some of you, a prayer service where literally 45 minutes of prayer and worship, and we're going to mix up and go back and forth between them. Stick with us. And if you need to, be like my dad and coached me. Lord, what are you doing? Show me what you're doing. Teach me what you're doing. Stay engaged, though. We're going to use the Lord's Prayer as our guiding prayer. I mean, I don't think we could ever really argue, like, well, that's, that's a good prayer and all, but there's a better one. I just came up with it. No. We're going to stick with the way that the Lord taught us to. Lord, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And we're going, to, we're going to pray through part of it, and then we're going to worship him and exalt him and thank him. And we're going to pray through the next part and worship and exalt. Communion will be in there as we come to confession. Forgive us today our daily, our sins. 
And in all of it, we, the people of God, are going to realize the tension of God by engaging in an experience with the presence of God, the Spirit with us today, even as we long for the second advent and his return. Amen. So if you will, I'm going to invite the band back up. Hopefully they're around here somewhere. And if you will stand with me and just prepare your hearts to say, Lord, my 2016, I'm going to start it with, with it being you and yours. And this is a little bit longer of a prayer time and worship time. So if standing works, great. If sitting works, great. If you want to kind of get out and pace a little bit, great. Whatever it is. But let us, the people of God, engage with the living God in the beginning of this year and say, 2015, take it. 2016, take it. And the possibilities that it holds, take it. And we're going to do the first thing first, which is seek you and commit this time, this year, our lives, whatever lays before us and behind us to you. And ask the reality of the gospel, Advent past and Advent present, to affect us today.